Welcome to the Weekly Squeak, your weekly geeky squeak with me, as always, Christian Chiller. Hope everybody is well, as always. Hope you're surviving. Hope you're getting through. This week, I have an interview with Jeff Schmidt of Apollo, who I recently featured on my Dexpose stream as well, where we talk about what the company is doing, their origins, what problems they're trying to solve, and a whole bunch of other things. He's actually very enthusiastic, so I do strongly suggest you stay and uh, have a listen or watch to that interview. But first, here are my links for the week. So first, this was widely reported and misreported and misunderstood. Um, Facebook did not do themselves any favour with their recent WhatsApp and broader privacy announcements. And there was a lot of reporting and jumping ship from WhatsApp because of this. Um, I'm actually going to recommend you listen to at least the first part of a podcast, another podcast, instead of reading an article on this subject. This is Text Message. Uh, this is a UK-based tech podcast in Nate Langson. And uh, in this particular episode, he's also joined by his brother. And actually, they had a very interesting, nuanced conversation around um, the poor job WhatsApp did, um, why jumping to other platforms is not always the best idea, uh, how you should evaluate those other platforms, and a whole bunch of other things that I found to be a very pragmatic way of dealing with, in essence, what was very poorly communicated uh, marketing from, well, not marketing, but communications from Facebook, which caused a lot of people to get very... Um, concerned and jump to uh, competitors when maybe they didn't need to uh, and it could have been handled better. So, yes, have a listen to that and have a read around the wider topic um, because actually, yeah, as I've reiterated several times, it was fairly poorly handled. <laughs> Another one that took my interest here, this is strange, it's not something I normally kind of report on, but Yahoo Finance um Hopin acquires StreamYard. Um I found this interesting because Hopin is actually one of the superior, one of the better online conference platforms um, that I have used a few times as an attendee and also as a conference organizer. And it works very well, it has a lot of good features. And StreamYard is a restreaming, is a kind of browser-based, but also other options streaming platform. Um, I personally use Restream, um, which is how some of you will see my live streams. Um, I also use it for recording some of the interviews, like the interview you will see later. And StreamYard is an alternative to that. I settled on Restream for various reasons, which I won't bore you with. But StreamYard is also actually a very good one. It was probably going to be uh, one of my, my sort of other top three choices. So the merging of the two of them makes for some quite interesting uh, product in that you can have a very good streaming platform and a very good conference organizing platform together, which offers a lot of very interesting opportunities. So I actually really look forward to seeing what will happen with that merger um, in the near future. Here is an article from Technology Review. I do apologize. This is a subscriber-only story, um, but should you so desire to get a subscription <laughs> or get a short-term subscription, this is from uh, Will Douglas Heaven. Uh, artificial general intelligence, are we close and does it even make sense to try? And this goes into some nice deep analysis of 
Uh, does the constant striving for general artificial intelligence actually even make sense? Are we looking at the wrong metrics? Are we evaluating the wrong things in an effort to accomplish something that we don't even necessarily know how to define or understand or need or whatever anyway? Uh, and this is not a novel um, issue with, uh, with, with scientific research, with any sort of research, but artificial, general artificial intelligence, however you want to put the GNA around, has always been something that's intrigued me. And I found this quite an interesting read to dig a little bit further into, yeah, the story behind it and, and is it something we actually need or want or understand? Next, this was a great post. I really enjoyed this on um, Wired from Steve Levy, a sort of classic reporter for Wired. Uh, a 25-year-old Betgum's Jew has tech-destroyed society. This was a sort of hark back to a, an interview between... Um, Kirkpatrick Sale and Kevin Kelly way back in 1995 in the early days of Wired and Kirkpatrick Sale was a sort of Luddite tech disliker um, who generally predicted it was going to bring down the end of the world (laughs) Um, and Kevin Kelly and don't forget this is way back in 95 when being a sort of tech um, evangelist and enthusiast was still more novel and more new was trying to prove him wrong and they put on a bet that in 20 years time which was late last year um, whether it had come true or not <laughs> and it's kind of interesting because as you would expect some elements kind of have some elements kind of haven't getting in touch with both of them was also an interesting challenge um, also, I found it quite interesting here that uh, Sale, Kirkpatrick Sale himself, had kind of compromised on some technology in the meantime in a world that he had no real choice. Uh, so it's quite a fascinating filling in the gaps of those 20 years. Um, I, yeah, have a read and make up your own minds about the conclusion. I think it's left fairly open. <laughs> and finally, an unexpected loss victim to Brexit here, (laughs) which is one that uh, took me by surprise and I found quite interesting. This is from the IEEE Spectrum by Michael uh, Coziol. Uh, St. Helena, which is a small island's new undersea cable, will deliver 18 gigabytes per person. Fair enough. Why is this interesting? Um, So it is part of the British Overseas Territories. And actually, in the European Union, some European countries, the UK was one, Denmark is another, France I think is still another, probably the Netherlands, there's a couple of these that still have some of these colonial territories. And they're actually kind of considered, sort of, part of the European Union because of their connection to the, to the, the, the other country. And up until very late last year, St. Helena was receiving investment funds and European development funds from the European Union via the the UK connection to keep their broadband going, basically, uh, because it's in the middle of nowhere and getting connections there and underseas cables, and I've talked about underseas cables many times, is quite an expensive undertaking. So now they have to figure out their own options. Um, And they're doing some partnerships with Google. Google actually has a lot of infrastructure around the world through this... uh, 
Equiano cable that goes from Lisbon into Lagos, connecting St. Helena, all the way down to Cape Town, which is quite a long way, actually, for, I suppose, relatively few connections. Um, yeah, if, if any of that interests you, have a read. I also just found it fascinating just to see these weird, strange, unintended um, victims of, <laughs> of the Brexit fallout as well into these very obscure places you'd never expected. But yeah, if you wonder how these obscure parts of the world get their internet connection, it's also just a fascinating insight to realising how difficult and expensive that undertaking can be to keep it to an affordable value so these places can get connected. And those are all my links for the week. And now here's my interview with Jeff Schmidt of Apollo. Enjoy. Uh, sure thing. Um, I'm Jeff Schmidt. I'm the CEO and one of the co-founders of Apollo GraphQL. And um, it barely gave me a second there. To... <laughs> um, what, what is Apollo? I, there's a few people who probably know Apollo for certain reasons, which we'll get to in a minute. But what's, what's the vision of the company? What's the mission of the company? So I think um, if you zoom out, I'm going to zoom really far out for a second, yeah. if you don't mind, and then zoom a little bit farther in. Um, you know, when people ask me, what's the mission of the company? I like to say, we're here to help app developers help the world. And, and I think if you zoom out, like we've spent um, trillions of dollars building like the modern information technology stack, like first the transistor and then the CPU and then the operating system, the internet, mobile devices, all this stuff. All that technology isn't useful until we make it useful to people by building apps. So to me, the real heroes of the entire information technology revolution, especially this chapter of it, are the people that take this amazing platform we've built that can deliver these amazing experiences and services simultaneously all over the world at massive scale and turn that into things that people can, can use, You know, whether that's a website, whether that's an app on your phone, or whether that's all these cool new IoT devices that we're seeing. The app is really the point of value creation for everything that we've done with information technology. And right now, I think apps are still too hard to write. They take too long. There's too much boilerplate. You know, for us to go from, you know, the idea we have in our mind about what's possible to really a great app running on all platforms, all channels, talking to all the cloud services we want to, it's still way too hard. Mm -hmm. So, you know, before Apollo, um, I worked on, I was one of the creators of something called Meteor.js, Okay. Uh, which itself yeah. was also a big open source success. And going back to Meteor, that's been our mission uh, to really um, make app development radically easier, faster, and more accessible. And we've taken all the lessons we've learned over the years and brought them into um, what we're doing with Apollo now. So I can get into the specifics of what GraphQL is in a second, but you know, uh, yeah. let me come up for air for a moment. I think we can probably skip the GraphQL. I think I've covered it enough and it's been around long enough that People who want to know know what it is. <laughs> sure, yeah. I do remember Meteor. I have been around web development long enough. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, there is definitely a space theme going here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, you're not the the only one. Um, yeah, but a slightly different perspective there. But so a lot of people probably know Apollo for if they've dabbled with GraphQL for the. Uh, client and the server, mm -hmm. the open yeah. source component. So let's maybe spend a little bit of time on those. What what are those, and and why did did you did you folks make them in the first place? Sure, and you know, a fun milestone for Apollo client. I think between um, all the versions of Apollo client, I think we crossed two million downloads 
last week for the first for the first point in time. I, I think if I've got the stats right here. So mm-hmm. Apollo Client is uh, far and away the most widely used client for GraphQL, and it's available on web, iOS, Android. Uh, and Apollo Server is one of the most popular GraphQL servers as well. Um, and, you know, we built this because, um, you know, look, we'd, um, you know, our, our vision with Apollo has been to take all the stuff that exists in the cloud, mm. make it very easy for you to build apps on top of it. Um, you know, if you go back app development, like five or 10 years, like it was still a paradigm where you had a web server next to the web server, you had a database, the web server is spitting out HTML and CSS. Now we're in a radically more complex, diverse environment where it's not just the web browser where, where, um, you know, we're serving, we're serving mobile devices, we're serving IoT devices. Uh, and it's not just one database in the cloud, it's a whole bunch of different stuff. It's a whole bunch of different microservices, data sources. And on both ends of this, both ends of the wire, um, we may not control all the services we're using. We're probably building on top of APIs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, increasingly, it's not just our own first party apps that we're using to take our cloud services out into the world. It's like probably a bunch of partners that we have or other distribution channels for our services. So the vision of Apollo is to let you build a data graph, like one platform. You know, it's like if REST APIs uh, are like two tin cans and a piece of string, it's a fundamentally point to point way of thinking about APIs because every time I have a new use case, I have to build an API endpoint. The data graph is more like a dial tone where I've got a phone book. I can pick up the phone. I can dial up anything I want in the cloud and have instant access to it. And um, and also, you know, it's a I can I can make conference calls too. I can call up the you know product service and inventory service, or I can call up the post service and the comment service and the user picture service and the friendship service. I can combine all this data very seamlessly into any sort of um, user interface I want. So, going back to when we released the first version of Apollo Client, I think in um, 2016, mm-hmm. this was always our vision for what we wanted to build. Coming out of the Meteor experience, we had a vision for what like Meteor provides an incredible experience if you're connecting a MongoDB backend to a JavaScript web frontend. And we said, what would it be like to provide that same incredible experience um, with any possible combination of data sources in the cloud for any possible frontend platform at the scale of the world's largest websites and largest organizations? Um, and incrementally adoptable into your existing app so that you can bring it very seamlessly and easily into any existing app or environment you've got. So that was the vision for Apollo. Um, going back to the beginning, and, and we built that piece by piece. You know, the first thing you need is a way to consume, and we selected GraphQL as the query language for that, by the way, as we were setting up to build this, because um, you know, it's a very elegant, simple, clean query language, uh, almost like the way SQL, Oracle selected SQL for the query language for their relational database, you know, back in the, <laughs> back in like the late 70s, I guess, you know? And it's something that React developers are comfortable with. It's proven at scale at Facebook. This is a good way to manage the complexity from a query language point of view yeah. of these apps at scale. Uh, and so we've just been building, you know, piece by piece, all the components you need for a full stack um, data graph implementation. So it's incrementally adopted and works at massive scale, works with any front end back end and works with very large teams too. So we start with Apollo client, you know, that was originally just for web and react and now it's available for iOS and Android. Uh, then we added Apollo servers, a great way to let people, let front end teams really instantly take all of their existing backend services and get them on the data graph without permission from anyone, right? Mm-hmm. You don't need to go to the backend team and say, hey, could you please implement this for me? If you're a front-end team, if you can you know, deploy a few lines of JavaScript to the cloud, um, you can very quickly build um, a data graph on top of whatever APIs you already have, uh, which is a very magical, like powerful, fast experience. 
Um, and those are sort of the things you need to get started quickly with a data graph. Um, but what happens, you know, the rest of Apollo, and this is really where a lot of our effort has been over the last year or two, is how do you scale that? How do you go from one team uh, using GraphQL to say, I've got a bigger vision. I want not just like a couple services and a couple like app features on this. How do I really roll this out across multiple teams? So I really have a data graph across my whole company where I can dial up anything I want. And we might, we might have 100 different teams that are all contributing data to the graph and all consuming data from the graph. I'd just like to dig into a couple of those things a little bit more just because sure, I yeah. feel like Apollo emerged especially early in the kind of GraphQL journey because mm-hmm. in all honesty, GraphQL has a lot of promise, but often the experience confuses a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a lot of the, the messaging around it is like, oh, it's this uh, great way of defining a, a schema and a query language. And then people get to it. It's like, yeah, but what do I do? what do I do, you know? <laughs> and a lot of people have turned to tools like Apollo to fill that gap. Um, mm-hmm. And I just want to clarify something you said, because now I'm just quickly looking around the docs and it, it's not jumping out at me. So I just want to double check I understood something. So say, for example, server, I would use server to sit on top of um, existing conventional data sources. Is that basically, that's the principle or not? Yeah, so let's start with like, what, why people adopt GraphQL. They adopt yeah, GraphQL yeah. because you want to build more features in your app faster. And if you look at a typical app, a lot of the code is data fetching boilerplate. You've had to build, now, now every app has an API inside of it. And so every screen in your app is powered by, probably powered by a REST endpoint that's specific for that screen in the app that fetches that particular combination of joiner data. Because mm-hmm. you can't afford to do multiple round trips to the server. So I have to fetch the posts and the comments and the likes like all at once. Yeah, 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 yeah. But every combination of data uh, for every screen in the app is going to be different. And you know, if you have your backend team separate from your frontend team, your backend team likes to think in these very orthogonal, like clean, independent services. They like to have like the post service over here, the comments over service over here, the like service over here. That's good systems design if you're building backend services. Mm. But a product engineer, if I'm a product engineer, I'm thinking I need that stuff in the right mashup or the right combination. I actually want a join that reflects the way this data is actually used by people on the screen. So the problem we're trying to navigate is how do we take from the very separate orthogonalized backend services and turn that into these experiences for people? So the way we used to do that in the past was we used, we built a new endpoint for every screen in our app. We built a product API, an API whose only purpose was to take the backend services and repackage them in a form that can be used by these these front-end apps. And so you might have a backend for front-end team uh, that you know spends a lot of time just building the APIs we need for each product experience feature. You probably have a lot of code inside your front-end app that's just handling fetching that data, caching that data, injecting that data into the UI. So our goal is, what if I didn't have to build, I have to do all that custom engineering, build a product API, like every single time I build a feature. And those product APIs, you think about it, it's code that can't make your app good. It can only make it bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it can compromise security, it can compromise performance, uh, it can require you to spend a lot of time working across multiple teams just to get a feature ship. So what we're trying to do with the data graph, and GraphQL is the query language of the data graph, is to say, what if I can create something that's more like um, more like Amazon Prime for, for digital resources, where I can just put any combination of things in my shopping cart, click buy, and I don't have to know about how all the logistics work in the warehouse. I just get it. So the way you do this is, 
um, you know, you can do it very quickly. Like you can be in production with a couple weeks on this, you know, if, if depending on the, so the length of your, mm-hmm. your sprint is you say, I'm going to drop Apollo client into my React app or whatever it may be. It plays very nicely with React. You know, it basically just handles all the work of fetching the data, caching it, uh, injecting it into your UI. It's a state management layer, effectively. This very network aware, has very great typing system. So I'll drop that into my front-end app, whether it's web, iOS, Android, to handle all the work I used to have to do about managing data once it's stored in the client. And now I need a way to get my data onto the data graph. I need my data graph on-ramp. So Apollo Server lets you get up and running with that very quickly. You can define a schema and you know, just write your schema. Hey, I've got, I've got users. They've got first names and last names, and each one has a set of orders. And guess what? Each order references back to a user, and it's also got you know, a set of line items. And then you, so you define your schema. You can do that very quickly. And then you map that schema back to all the different stuff you've got, your databases, your APIs, and Apollo Server, which is you know, one one of our offerings, like one thing you can use as you're building a data graph. It's not the only way to build a data graph for sure. It lets you write just a couple lines of JavaScript to say, how do I fetch the data behind each of those objects, uh, which are called resolvers? So you can write those resolvers very quickly. It's often you know, just a couple lines of code. And now you're up and running. You have, you have a server that can answer these GraphQL queries, these data graph queries, and map it back to your existing services. It creates an abstraction layer. Um, and then you've got this great tooling on the front end that knows how to get your data and handle all of it for you. And that's typically where people start. Um, but then, you know, what happens next is you say, okay, well, what if I have more than one um, Apollo server instance? Or what if I have more than one data source? What if I have more than one team? I don't want to create another monolith in the form of my, like, Apollo server. And guess what? As you know, Apollo Server is a great way to get started and get your, for the, for the product team to kind of take matters into their own hands and get a data graph set up very quickly. Um, but what we see is uh, people get a lot of benefits very quickly for moving to this architecture if they have multiple different data sources in the cloud. And yeah, there is some upfront investment to do it. It's, you know, it's not the same as just hitting one rest endpoint, but rest endpoint. But by the time your apps get to any level of complexity, you know, I think the payoff is worth it. But what happens next is you say, okay, well, Gosh, now I've got um, now I've got the Java people. The Java people want to they want to contribute data to the graph. So I'm going to add GraphQL Java. Now they've now I've got a I've got this Apollo server in JavaScript. I've got the Java piece over here. Uh, you know I, I might have more and more. I might have ten teams that are all building their own backend services or or frontend services, and and they're using Apollo server. They're using a whole bunch of different languages. Um, the next thing I want to do that is I want to combine that into a one data graph for my whole company. Yeah. I don't want to have a central point of failure. I don't want to have yeah. a monolith. And there are two problems I have to solve. One problem I have to solve is the query routing. Okay, a query comes in and it touches data from five different services. I need a query planner. I need a query planner that's going to break that query into pieces and say, you know, phase one, I'm going to in parallel fetch this from here and here. Right. going to get that back. Then get another batch of queries, batch it up, join it. Like all the things you have to do to really do this distributed query execution for a query that spans multiple different databases, microservices, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so that's that, Apollo Gateway. That starts to become, oh, actually, oh, hang on. All right. I think you've gone off on a slight tangent because so that's, sure, yeah. that's a different product. Yeah. So, I mean, that's... Okay. um. We call that a graph router. (laughs) Yeah, it's like it's like a (laughs) it's like a Cisco router for your graph, or it's like a PBX for people to know how phone systems work. How do I connect all the telephones together? What's the switchboard? You know, or you know, I need a way to route these queries across multiple teams. I need a way to really um, understand what the policy framework that is that go with that. You know, what the performance. You know, there's so many different aspects of building that fabric, that graph fabric in your company. So it's called a graph router. 
Is that go, part go of server or that's something else? That's part of the studio. I was about to move on to the the kind of the the commercial side of things. Sure. Yeah. So. Segue. Yeah, so we have an open source graph router, Apollo oh. Gateway, um, and uh, you know, as you deploy that in larger and larger scales, you know, there are more things you might need, and we have a full set of kind of enterprise offerings that we can put next to that for people that are starting to ask, how do I do a trillion queries a month on this thing, not a million queries a month? Yeah. And um, so you, you need the graph router, um, and Apollo Gateway is a great way, great way to get started with that. Um, and the technology that makes that possible, joining multiple graphs into one, is a technology called Apollo Federation, which is a totally open standard. It's a very, you know, it's pure GraphQL, very elegant, clean, simple way to kind of declare those foreign key references and give the query planner enough information to know how to federate a query. Is there, it's strange because you've mentioned a couple of um, projects, products here that I don't see obviously mentioned on the website. Is there a reason for that? You want to kind of abstract them away? Or is there some other plan there? <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, <laughs> we've done a lot of work to understand people's journey through GraphQL. It is a, like the data graph is a new product category. And okay, yeah. if you just discovered a relational database and just discovered SQL for the first time, we wouldn't want to hit you over the head with 27 manuals all falling from the sky. <laughs> so we've, we've really tried to understand what's the journey that people go through. And we've tried to tailor like the path. So we want to make it very easy for product developers to get started. And we want to, we really want to steer people towards saying, hey, if you want to get into production with this now, here's how you can combine Apollo client and Apollo server on top of the existing APIs you have to really get something into production, see the value. And then on top of that, we want to offer you, hey, now that you've seen that working, we want to offer you, hey, let's talk about the graph router. Let's talk about performance yeah. management. Let's talk yeah. about workflows. Let's talk about CI. Let's, well, talk, let's about talk about the whole software that. development lifecycle. <laughs> you know, so there's there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. You know, so, so let's let, let's let's talk about that. Um, so yeah, the client and server and some of the other things are part of the open source. But then you have this Apollo Studio. Uh, I mean, the way it's I kind of tend to look through platform or product pages. The way it's organized is develop, deliver, observe. Um, yeah. So yeah, what what are you adding on top? But before we get into those details, I'd be interested to know, like, uh, when did you get to this side? How long were you kind of um, an open source company, um, you know, needing to make money at some point, <laughs> yeah. but not, not worrying about it quite now, to the point where you now have a, a product? Like, what was the journey there? Yeah, I mean, I think um, for us, it's all about serving our users, and it's all about helping app developers help the world. And I think um, if you start with that as your idea, it really guides you to understand what should we do in what order. And I think, um, you know, I think open source businesses are, the business model is made or lost before you write the first line of code. Because mm. some, you know, good open source businesses look like something where you've got this whole solution and there's a part that's naturally open source and there's a part that people would actually prefer to pay for, right? Yep. If you've got something like that, you can just focus on serving your users and you're going to get there. Um, but in terms of how it played out for us, you know, the first thing we did was we built um, Apollo client and Apollo server. And we listened to the experiences people were having and they said, hey, we've only deployed this on a single team, but we've already found that our existing APM tools don't work that well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a existing APM tool can maybe tell me that my slash graph kill endpoint is too slow, but it, it can't understand the hundred different queries I'm sending to that. And it can't break the query down and understand like what's making that fast or slow. And also I've got a ton of sort of um, workflow issues. It's like, you know, if I'm, t if I'm changing, whenever I change my schema, I need to validate my schema 
across all the clients that are using that schema. Like if I've shipped a hundred different versions of my mobile apps across, you know, five different geographies going back a year or two, and I make a change to my schema and these mobile apps are in the field and they, um, you know, and they uh, are doing these queries. I really need to be able to validate changes I make to the graph structure against yeah. all the clients that are out there. Yeah. So those are the needs people have on a single team level. So those are the, those are the first things we built um, in Apollo Studio. Uh, and then, you know, what's happened is uh, Apollo is now used at massive scale in the enterprise. Like many of the internet's top brands now have, you know, and you can read some of the blog posts out there, have um, data graphs that are backed by Apollo. So as you start going to, um, how do I do a trillion queries a month? How do I coordinate, you know, uh, many, many different teams? Um, you know, that sort of has driven us really over the last year um, to build a very robust enterprise offering that supports people who are deploying graphs at, at um, large scale. And I guess an intermediate spot there was maybe around a year and a half ago that we shipped Apollo Federation, which is the enabling technology for um, letting people um, join smaller graphs into a larger graph with a lot of help from many people in the community. Yeah. So that's been kind of the journey. First helping, first the open source, then making sure that we had some sort of a, you know, I think I'm a big believer in charging money for something because then people give you feedback pretty quickly about whether it's good. <laughs> and then going from that to sort of tracking the evolution of the data graph to being like these distributed graphs, building the enabling technology for that, and then building another round of commercial enterprise offerings this time um, yeah. on top of that. And some of what you offer here, so I'm just digging in, you've got develop, deliver, observe. It's a shame you couldn't get another D in there. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> maybe yeah. there's a, we could think about that. Um, as far as I, I can tell, there's um, yeah API reference, which GraphQL sort of has built in, but probably looks a lot better <laughs> and a bit easy to understand <laughs> what to do instead of a giant text box that you kind of look at and go, hmm? Yeah, <laughs> we have an amazing... We have an amazing tool called Apollo Explorer. Yeah, uh, you know, it's yeah, almost like yeah. uh, it's almost like Chrome or Safari or Netscape Navigator for your graph. Or that's the direction it's going. Um, so we we Don't did a lot of research. Netscape Navigator, yet. Well, that, that yeah. <laughs> well, okay. So yeah, I, I I should remember I'm I'm talking to a more technical audience here than no, I, no, no. I sometimes. I mean, well, actually, yeah. I mean, actually, if you want to get into that, because I, I was reading something recently about what Netscape Navigator really meant was it opened up the doors for everybody. So it's a good reference, but many people yeah. might not remember it to know that. <laughs> yeah, it, it was the beginning of something amazing. It, it gave people, it connected people with resources in the most seamless and fluid way yeah. than yeah. like we'd ever seen back then. Yeah. And, and I'm old enough that I, I had those experiences. Well. <laughs> yes. Uh, and then uh, change logs, which is actually kind of interesting. That's something I've interviewed quite a lot of companies in the, quote unquote, traditional database um, world that are also rolling out these sorts of tools. I mean, some have existed for some time, but mm -hmm. this ability, this kind of like database ops, I suppose, um, and GraphQL as, a, as its schema representation makes that easier in some respects. So it's a nice kind of visual representation of it. Um, yeah, to me, one of the big take homes, and I think the reason you see this parallelism with like databases yeah. is... We used to live in this point-to-point, -point, tightly coupled world where I've got the data over here, I've got the thing that uses the data over here, and I've got a wire between the two. <laughs> and if I'm getting really frisky, maybe I have two wires, I have two people mm -hmm. using the um, using the data. So it was a world of these tightly coupled point-to-point -point connections. 
And that's like the world of APIs. Like most APIs, other than GraphQL, I think pretty much all APIs are point to point. That tight coupling makes sense when everything's being maintained by a single group of people and it doesn't change too often. And we're moving to a world where um, we need more of an abstraction layer mm. between not just data, but also services, really all of our digital assets and the things that consume them. And so I think the really cool idea about the data graph is it's a, it's um, compared to point-to-point APIs, it's a new way of thinking about how we connect things that I think of it as being agile, abstract, and declarative. So it's abstract because you don't connect directly to a database. You've got, you connect to this abstraction layer and the abstraction layer is connected to the database of the services. That means I can have a monolith today and I can refactor that to many microservices tomorrow. Um, and also it means I can write new apps without having to go back to the backend team and say, hey, make me some new endpoints. So that abstraction barrier, abstraction is so important in so many different parts of software development. Why don't we have abstraction in the way that we access data and services? That abstraction layer is, you know, is really needed. It's agile. So a REST API, you might change a REST API, I don't know, like um, once every two years, a couple times mm-hmm. a year if you're, if you're moving at a very fast pace. And every time you change a REST APIs, you know, you're, you're emailing everyone who uses that API or might use that API. Say, hey, does anyone use this endpoint? You know, I'm going to send you deprecation warnings for <laughs> like six yeah. months. And, and that's and, actually uh, something, something you do have is this ability to, to uh, notify people um, if there are changes. I, I'm, I mean, does that include notifying everybody or notifying developers of <laughs> sure yeah i mean that's that's what's so powerful about the graph it's designed from the bottom up to be an agile way to do this like we we apollo is built on the assumptions that you've got a hundred teams contributing data to the graph and they're all changing the graph 10 times a day so what what does it look like in the world where the graph is changing a thousand times a day you need to have very good agile processes and not, not the waterfall process or an api design and schema design that we have in the past mm. we need to be able to constantly be adding new stuff deprecating the old stuff in kind of a continuous agile process so some of the tools that support that you know uh, apollo can sit in your ci apollo studio can okay. sit in your ci so we can yeah. understand hey you made this change let's talk about the other services that also reference this data did you break a foreign key reference let's talk about all the clients that use this let's replay the last 24 hours of production traffic to understand if you broke anything and then inside vs code on the developer side hey if we're going through a deprecation life cycle for a field i can broadcast right into your vs code i'll get the little red swiggle saying and we're parsing the GraphQL queries that are embedded in your apps. Yeah. Hey, this field's deprecated. Don't use, don't yeah. use first. Use first name, right? Yeah. And so, yeah. Yeah. and that can sit in the CI for the client too. So the tooling supports an agile way to think about your whole inventory of of data and services. Okay. Yep. And then the final part is observe um, usage. Uh, so to- performance. So this is, I mean, this is interesting. You start to wander into the territory here of APM providers and things like that and how far and tracing as well i can see how sure how far do you go down this path because you could probably guess that a lot of people have other solutions for this are you trying to replicate and depreciate some of those or deprecate some of those or are you trying to sit alongside them we want to bring the graph specific intelligence to your observability so part of the graph specific intelligence is yeah, there's tracing. I want to understand how a particular query executed because now that we've got this query planner across multiple services, like if your if your GraphQL query is slow, how do you understand why? We need good tooling. And what if that query touched multiple different data sources or services or teams? Mm-hmm. Um, so providing a really good view about how a query executed, yeah, that's part of it. And that's something you're not going to find in traditional APM tools because they don't know how GraphQL queries are planned and 
um, executed. But you know, most people, they want to use that kind of functionality in conjunction with their other APM investments. At the same time, you know, Apollo Studio has a robust enough offering so that if you don't have an existing observability investment, you can get pretty far with it. But almost the bigger story in observability for a graph isn't around the performance, it's around how your graph is used. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I want to understand yeah. Who's using particular, you know, what's driving traffic to this backend service? Oh, it's these mobile apps at these versions. Or who's using this field? I would like to deprecate this field. I would like to understand who's using that field. Or, you know, conceptually, and, and you know, our tools aren't this sophisticated yet, you know, you should be able to tell if people search for ice cream more on hot days just from understanding how your graph is used. Like the graph really provides a language for understanding what data you have and how it's being accessed. Like I can tell you exactly who looked at a particular medical record. I can guarantee that a piece of like sensitive information never left the you know continent mm -hmm. where its data residency is supposed to be. Like all those things become possible when you think yeah. about observability for a graph. Yeah. So it's a different type of observability that we've never been able to do before, because we've never had. I talked about agile and abstract. My third thing was declarative. You know, with REST APIs with point-to-point -point ways of looking at data fetching, you write. It's it's imperative. You like you tell the computer what you want to have happen. How, how to do your thing. But GraphQL is declarative. You say, I want to get this data from over here to over there. This means that we can use the graph as a place that we can understand the flow of data. We can understand our security policies. We can understand like who access what. That's what observability means in the context of the graph. And to do that, you have to have what we call a trace warehouse and a whole like um, mm -hmm. analytics and observability stack that understands a GraphQL query. And that should work in conjunction with your, you know, your other um, observability and analytic systems. Actually, it really gets into some interesting territory there because in theory, people could start billing not only for API usage, but field usage and things like that. <laughs> I Absolutely. I can't think of the use case, but... Uh, <laughs> <this> is, <laughs> but well, sure it's really powerful because, you know, a lot of companies, I think, are at the point where, you know, you, want, you don't want to just have your first party. You built this amazing thing. Mm -hmm. How are people going to use this thing? Is it only going to be your app? Or is it going to be like integrated with other people's apps, integrated with like the physical world through IoT, so that like the cool thing that you've got, like wherever people would have that problem, you know, they have access to it. Like, um, and more and more companies want to be platform companies. Like, um, you know, Expedia is is you know uh, all in on GraphQL and, and Apollo, and you know their vision isn't necessarily every single plane ticket is going to get purchased to the first party Expedia app. Their vision is Expedia should have all of yep. the flight yep. and hotel inventory and you know wherever people are thinking or talking about travel Expedia wants to be there. Yep. So that same, you know that that fluidity, that ability to take take your graph and give your partners access to it with having to write a ton of custom code, whether it's on the level of billing for individual fields or whether it's just on the level of saying I'm going to give you access to these parts of the graph and we're going to have the same very agile relationship where we can be constantly adding new things to the graph and you can be consuming them like there's there's so much this, it's such a limitation when the only way that you expose all the cool stuff you've built is through a REST API. REST APIs are so brittle, they're so limited, they never let you fetch the combination of data you want. So for us to really get the full potential, the cool stuff we built and really set it free on the internet, we need this graph technology. Uh, and we need to take more of the internet APIs on the internet and move it not just to GraphQL APIs, but GraphQL APIs that really do have this full set of agile tooling around it. So you can you know, very quickly and easily give other people access, um, whatever the building relationships there are, and um, very quickly, um, you know, consume mm. uh, all the different data from all the different sources, make those connections, not just on the scale of like your services, but on the scale of the whole internet to build the next generation of apps. Two more questions, one small one, one 
potentially big one. I don't know. We'll start with the big one. So you sure. said a lot of very interesting things here. There's a lot of interesting offerings, but one of the selling points of REST and one of the initial selling points of, of GraphQL is a, a standard, um, mm-hmm. a, you know, a predictable way of consuming. And I'm interested to know how much of the features you offer through the, the platform, mm-hmm. how accessible are they by other tools? Like, what do I get? What, what, what do I get as yeah. an output that I can work with? I mean, we're one of the founding members of the GraphQL Foundation. We've, you know, worked closely with, um, you know, the, the Facebook folks to um, put that together. And uh, what we do is 100% standards compliant. That's okay. part of the beauty of GraphQL. It's part of the beauty of Apollo Federation. Like, it's why Apollo Client has something like 95% market share. It's because it's a, it's a very powerful, flexible tool. It's, 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 uh, it's very status compliant if you help define the standards. <laughs> well, I mean, the other yeah. thing is, okay, let's let's get real. The standard's been very stable. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, Lee Byron and, and some of the other folks at, at Facebook did a great job on the standard. So we've there have been very few changes that have been needed to the standard to support all of this. Uh, and we've been able to find that, you know, on top of that, within, within those lines and without a lot of rapid change here, um, we've been able to add... You know, like, yeah, so we've defined a few additional, Mm. um, you know, open standards on top of that, like uh, a standard for how you record the traces so that they can be collected by Apollo or anything else that collects traces or generated by anything that can produce traces. Like, how do you how do you encode a a graphical execution trace in a header? You know, so like there have been some additions like that. And Apollo Federation uh, is a big win. Like, what are the additional hints and entry points and decorators we need to um you know, to join graphs across multiple services, which wasn't uh, a use case they had at Facebook in the same way because of how their backend works. Yep. Uh, and that's, um, you know, that's also uh, one of our objectives with that is to have it be 100% standard compliant GraphQL. So, yeah, I think the um, standardization is, is incredibly important in the ecosystem. And, um, you know, the additional conventions that we built on top of the GraphQL standards, you know, we have by and large made their own, made, made be their own open standards. Okay. Nice. So the last question, probably the easier question, what's next? What's next on the roadmap for six to 12 months? Yeah, I mean, um, (laughs) there is so much going on in the space that one of the challenges for us is um, focus because there's so much cool stuff we could be doing. Uh, (laughs) We are going to continue to make big investments in Apollo Client and Apollo Server uh, and Apollo Gateway, uh, all open source. Uh, I mean, there'll be some there'll be some more enterprise-only features at kind of the people that are doing a trillion queries a month instead of a million queries a month, uh, especially for the graph router. But um, you know, we're going to continue to invest in Apollo Client. We're going to continue, and not just for um, web, but in particular, we're we're really continuing to ramp up our investment in um, iOS and Android uh, mm-hmm. versions of Apollo Client. Uh, and it's just been really great to see the user community there. And we really, our philosophy is has always been by the community for the community. Back to the earliest days of Apollo Client and um, so it's great to see those communities really form and us to start to learn what some of the best patterns are uh, for mobile GraphQL. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, we're going to uh, continue to invest in the um, in the graph router um, and um, continue to make Apollo Gateway uh, ever more performant and um, ever more modular um, while keeping um, while keeping the, you know, basic graph router you need to run a graph um, open source um, on the. Um, there's a lot that we're doing on the enterprise side. We are working uh, at people that are deploying 
GraphQL really mind-boggling scale, which is amazing. And you know, for example, like how do when your graph now contains a very large number of fields, uh, you know, it's your schema doesn't fit on a couple pages or even <laughs> you know 100 pages. <laughs> how do you, how do you really manage a large schema? Yeah. So there's a lot of investments we're, we're making there and we're scaling up our team so that we can support some of those more complex enterprise use cases with really, you know, white glove, high touch, um, you know, support for people that are trying to go from one team to this vision of, yeah. wow, this has incredibly increased our product development velocity. How do we roll this out across our enterprise? Um, but we're also making investments on, um, you know, we're, <laughs> we're making investments on um, the team edition of Apollo Studio. How do we provide a continually better experience there? Uh, for people that are on single teams and are saying, hey, I need better observability. I need better um, workflows and software lifecycle controls even on a single team if I'm not ready for those enterprise stuff too. But the other thing we're doing, and you know, I saved the best for last, um, we're making investments in kind of like the first um, 30 minutes of, a, of the data graph experience. And you touched on this earlier. It can be overwhelming because it's a lot to learn. It's a lot of new technology. So we're going to continue to try to make this the easiest and smoothest experience it can possibly be for developers who are just getting started. And you know, you may be thinking, hey, I've heard about this GraphQL thing. Is it really for me? I don't want to make a huge investment necessarily before I, I can really touch and see and feel it and prove to myself that I want to spend some more time on this. So um, Apollo Explorer is a great example of this. I touched on it earlier. Um, it's a radically better way. You know, we did many hours, you know, many, many interviews with people that uh, use tools like Graphical or GraphQL Playground to ask, what's the best way to browse your graph, build a query, you know, aside from kind of like these open source demos of what that could be, um, what would be a really great experience to browse like ever larger graphs, build queries. Um, and, um, and so that's Apollo Explorer. And, and there's some amazing things coming for Apollo Explorer, uh, like, um, like, it's like seeing the query plans of how the queries execute. But uh, a big focus is going to be making so that as you're just getting started with the graph, um, Apollo Explorer and the full set of stuff is like really gives you a, a big warm hug so you to welcome you to this ecosystem and understand how to get started and give you great tooling. So if it sounds like a lot, it's because it is. Uh, but it all comes from the needs that people have in the field in this sort of like rapidly, um, rapidly growing category in a very exciting time. And our mission of you know, just trying to help app developers help the world and, you know, make the most of every hour they spend building really cool stuff and, and getting a bigger impact, you know, with your products for your users. And for a very, very practical wrap up, people who do want to try, obviously the open source options go crazy. And for the platform, you have a pretty generous free tier that lets you try at least half the features at least i think more than that actually <laughs> yeah um for a while yep and a we will you have a great experience one. before so, you have to you know get out your credit card or talk to your manager about how you're gonna pay for this stuff so you could yeah just go to apollographkill.com click start the tutorial that's going to be a great walkthrough for how to you know see what this is touch and feel it. and i think you're going to find as you go through that, I think you're going to get excited. I think you're going to think, gosh, this is something we can get into production pretty quickly. And I don't have to go through some lengthy architecture review process or get the backend team bought in. It's really been designed around what my needs are going to be if I just want to try this and maybe get one feature over to it. And then if, if after you're doing that, you're thinking, hey, I wish I had a little bit more tooling around it. You know, uh, there's a, you know, there's a, a free version of like the the studio tooling and there's uh, and there's a version that's I think you know very affordable that gives you just about everything you'd want on a single team level 
And then I'd say the time to really give us a call um, is if you're thinking, how do I get from one team to multiple teams? Um, there's a lot of parts to that problem. One part is just really communicating to your organization. It's like, you've seen, as an engineer, you've seen the incredible benefits you've got from this. Well, I, I hope the benefits are incredible. I've, I've heard from many people that it, you know, we will never give this up, but how do you, and you might get excited about how do we expand this? Like we can help with that. We can help, um, we can help talk with the product engineering leader and say, look, let's quantify the benefits we got. Let's understand what, what it's going to take to build a larger graph what it's going to take to coordinate the software development lifecycle across multiple graphs, what it's going to take to get a graph router in here. And we really have a team of people whose whole job is to help you expand the graph from one team to multiple teams and make sure you do it the right way. Because, you know, um, sometimes I compare the data graph to, I, I think I compared it earlier to a dial tone. Instead of these point-to-point -point connections, two tin cans and a piece of string like you've got with REST APIs, now you've got a phone book, you've got a dial tone, you can dial up anything you want in the cloud. One dial tone is great. Two dial tones is not such a good plan. Like you, you don't want like several different teams inside your company to independently invent telephones and have the telephones not be able to call each other. So if you're getting to the point that you're thinking about multiple teams or, or maybe you've even found multiple teams that have independently discovered this stuff, that would be a good time to give us a call and we can really give you um, a lot of resources. Uh, and we would be delighted to, to help you map out how you're gonna expand GraphQL to multiple teams. That was my interview with Jeff Schmidt of Apollo. And now a few updates from me. All right, what do I have to share? A couple of small things. Um, my actually recently had a post over on Knowledge Owl blog, which is a screenshots roundup. I also did uh, my Dexpose. I'm not quite sure. I know I took a break this week. That's why nothing is showing up. I took a slight break from my streams because I am on the verge of reorganizing a few of them, especially the Dexpose one. Um, and I will have a solo adventure this week, which is Quill, which is a letter writing role play game. Um, I've been doing a few things behind the scenes, a few private things that I can't promote. Uh, I will have a blog on the blog post on the Humanitech blog soon and doing some blogging for some new people also soon. Um, I think that's basically about it right now. I have a couple of things that are very near being finished. I can tell you about over the next few weeks, but those are the main things for now. So um, I think that's all I really have to say. I uh, hope you all keep well. If you've enjoyed the show, the interview, please rate, review, share, leave a comment, get in touch with me at christianschiller.com. Would love to hear from you. Uh, if you'd like to come on the show, let me know, christianschiller.com, chris at christianschiller.com. Love to hear from you. And until next time, thank you so, so much for joining <laughs>